Welcome to Nice Ashes. I'm Nate. And I'm Mike. What are we smoking today, Nate? Well, before we get into what we're smoking, we've got uh, we've got a special guest. And uh, what did we say you were going to be introduced as, Simcha? The uh, Sultan of Salt. Oh. oh, Simha. Sorry, the Sultan of Desire, Simha. Simha the, yes, the Sultan. Yes, that's right. That's right. Sultan of Desire. Apologize for the mispronunciation of the name. We should have cleared that up before we started recording. No, it's okay. It's like the way we. It's all good. We'll we'll get into all that in a second. This uh, cigar that all three of us are smoking uh, was Simha's choice. It is the LFD Double Liguro Churchill. And it was difficult for Mike and I to find, uh, but I did not go to a gas station like Mike believes. And uh, I actually went across uh, just downtown here in the little suburb that I live in, and they have a smoke cigar vape shop thing, and they do have a walk-in humidor, and uh, that was that. Was that. Oh, nice. Uh, but this stick is so big, it's fallen into my ashtray twice because I've not placed it perfectly balanced as all things should be. I have lit it up. Uh, it's good. Good start. Yeah, it's a good recommendation. <laughs> now, have you have you smoked these before? Myself, no. The guy that recommended them said, uh, I think the first time, I think it was the first cigar he ever smoked. And he, anyone asked him for recommendations is the one he gives. Nice. Well, it's good. It's girthy. Got a little bit of spice on the wrapper. Mm-hmm. All the things Mike and I normally like. Yeah, a little peppery. It's a Earthy good start. And spicy. Yep. Mm-hmm. So I think, I don't know, I mean, it's it's whatever uh, Simho wants to talk about, but I think we ought to talk a little bit about how we know each other, which is through some random happenstance. <laughs> um, but I did a uh, web series that I got scored by a fellow named Zuriel, who has a son who's friends with Simha. Yep, Shlomo. Local DJ. And now you're out in Chicago. Yeah. I'm out in Chicago. I live in the heart of the uh, Orthodox Jewish community. And um, yeah, it's really big. Now, did you move to Chicago to be with that community or was it happenstance? My uh, my future ex-mother-in-law, may she rest in peace, lived in Indiana and in Fort Wayne. So it was a close drive. She had MS. And so it was easy for my for her daughter to go and visit her. It was close by. I, I went to New York at first. I went to Crown Heights for a few months, but ended up deciding it was best to come to Chicago. Sure. I've never been to New, uh, New York or Chicago, so there we go. <laughs> I've been to both, but not the uh, Jewish sections of either that I've, that I've been aware of. Crown Heights was cool. I was there for a couple months. I wanted to settle there, but I'm from Oklahoma, and I never like moved anywhere before on my own. So, like I didn't know like how to get stuff lined up, but I had some money saved up. So it did help me stay myself for a couple months. And uh, I learned in a rabbinical seminary over there for a few months. And then, uh, you know, as things would have it, I ended up moving to Chicago. Sure. I've been here for like since July 31st of 2012. Oh, so you're, you've been there quite a while. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Some might even say you're native now. I still don't feel like it. <laughs> <laughs> sure. That's actually longer than I think I've ever lived anywhere. Uh, other than when I was growing up, I've kind of moved around in my adulthood. So I, uh, I've lived all in the Western part of the country and rural areas doing industrial work for the most part. So almost the exact opposite of going to New York city. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, and so, uh, I some... Oh, go on. Go ahead. Oh, no, go some ahead. people ask me how I like, how I like Chicago. 
or whatever turmoil goes in Chicago with Chicago politics or crime. I was like, I don't, I don't know about Chicago. Like I live in the Jewish community and that's like home. It's like one giant family. But if they did, if it wasn't for the community, I'd probably hate this place. <laughs> I think I feel like it would be depressing. Here. Is it really that bad? Because I lived in uh, no, Minneapolis. No, it's not bad. My, my community is my community is pretty quiet and safe. Like I said, it's the heart of the Jewish community. Um, but I was saying if they weren't here, this place would feel like empty. It's like there's not really much. All the stuff to go do is not like in this area. Oh, sure. For people that come to come to Chicago to do things. Sure. Do they have a transit system that's worth anything? Um, I've only used it once, oh. so I don't know. <laughs> sure. I lived in Minneapolis for a year, and we were talking before the show. My wife is from Minneapolis, and uh, I lived a, a block, a couple blocks off of uh, the train system they have. And you get on the train for two bucks, you can go anywhere in the city, basically. So oh. it's not too yeah, bad. The L. As far as... Sarah and I used the, the Sarah and I used the L when we were there. I think we were there for like a week, and it got us pretty pretty much everywhere. So Nate, you're from Oklahoma, right? No, I'm from Wisconsin. Oh, and you lived in. Oklahoma. But I went to I went to school in Oklahoma for four years, and then worked there an additional year. So, um, how did you meet Sergio Costell? Yeah, I was uh, looking for a composer for my my web series, and I can't remember exactly what site or platform it was that we got introduced. But I believe, and I don't know if he still is, but he was at that time actively seeking more uh, composing roles, and so I think he must have been out on some some site that had you know that filmmakers go to to find other people, and then we just kind of got talking and right. went. Uh, Ready, steady, go. And it was weird because I think that he was really, truly the first um, Hasidic Jew, right? That's the term. Yeah, yeah. That I that I kind of met, and and so my my co-star in this series was actually a, an ex-Hasidic Jew, and I think he was um, a Jewish down in Texas, and then moved up north and left left the order, but he never really talked much about it. So you know. And then, I don't know, it must have been five or six years ago now, or longer, probably longer ago now, that uh, my wife and I actually traveled over to where uh, Zuriel lives, and we met him for coffee. And, wow. Um, it was very interesting because, like, my wife went with me, and um, it, it was strange because I'd never actually, like, interacted with an acidic Jew before, and so he would shake my hand but wouldn't shake her hand. Uh, wasn't rude about it, just said, you know, yeah. my my religion pro- pro- prohibits me from uh touching another woman and um you know, but it was very very pleasant, but I I didn't I don't think I did a good job preparing my wife for the interaction because I didn't know myself. So Right, right. Yeah, you couldn't have known. Should I don't know if you want me to share how I knew that you knew Sorio. Yeah, I don't care. All right. So basically our dearest friend Nate here dated my future ex-wife and uh, a long time ago, I added him on Facebook because she's like, you would get along with him so well. So I just had him on my Facebooks. And then I said, you know, hey, Nate likes my anti-political posts. She's like, really? I guess she looked him up and she says, do you know Cyril Costell? And I said, no, but I know that last name. And, and so she's like, he knows Cyril. He did the music for him. Maybe he's related to our friend. So I searched on the profile, Cyril Costell, and I found a picture of you two. And I show my friend Shlomo, I was like, do any of these guys mean anything to you? And he goes, dude, the guy's my father. 
I was like, this is crazy. <laughs> and so I told Nate, and Nate's like, well, how did you know I know Turino? I was like, oh, you know, my wife. I was trying to be vague. Then that's my <laughs> wife. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, who's your wife? And I told him. And then I said, you wouldn't believe it. She's a Hasidic Jew now. <laughs> yeah, so I wanted to ask you a few a few questions about about that. Not about um, sure. your wife necessarily, but so when you when you join or become, uh, what I mean, I guess what's the term for it? When somebody comes to join uh, Hasidic like Judaism. Conversion. conversion. When somebody converts, mm-hmm. uh, they get to pick their own name or do they get named by someone else? Ah, so they get to pick their own name. And back in Oklahoma, I was with my wife, and we were we were toking toking it up. And somebody, a non-Jewish guy who was a music professor, is a friend of mine, came to pick up a gas can he lent me. And in order not to look stoned, I wore a sombrero. Don't know why, like that was like you know gonna. That, to me, that says absolutely not stoned. Anybody right. in a sombrero cannot be stoned. Anytime I see that, I think I just think sober. So I, I go outside to give him his gas can. He goes, you know, I was just thinking, you should name yourself Simcha. Simcha means joy, like happiness. Because I'm walking out goofily, and it just reminded him, like, he was thinking that. So when it went to Crown Heights, they're like, you know, what's your name? I said, Justin, do you go by, like, a Hebrew name? And I just said Simcha, and it stuck. So, and then whenever I did my conversion, they said, do you have a name? And I said, yeah, Simcha. So that was that. So you weren't always a Hasidic Jew? No, I was raised Southern Baptist in Oklahoma. Oh, interesting. Like most people are in Oklahoma. Um, I don't oh. know if you, you were here for that, Mike. We were uh, saying that I spent five years in Oklahoma, uh, four in, in college, and then one working. So we both, we, but we didn't know each other when I was in Oklahoma, and he was in Oklahoma. Sure. We knew of each other. We might have been the Sombrero twins. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That but I was. Funny. I was looking up some of the uh, stuff about Hasidic uh, Judaism earlier today, and one of the things was saying that the tenets are kind of, there's like three, uh, love, love, joy, and humility are kind of the, the three big ones. Yeah, pretty much. Um, service of the Creator and service to your fellow man. That's, that's kind of like the, the values that you know, Hasidic Judaism presents. All Judaism technically, but I'm saying like that's the values that we emphasize. I am certain that you were the first person I've talked to who I knew was Jewish. Nate and I talked about that before. Um, there's Jewish temples in this area, but all the people left to go to larger cities. So I've just never had the opportunity to talk to somebody who was Jewish before. I, I didn't either, like, back in Oklahoma. <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah, it's weird. Not, I mean, it's weird from my perspective. It's like, well, how have I never talked to a Jewish person before? But when I was thinking about it, I... I I haven't. <laughs> you know, there was a guy I went to school with, and I didn't know he was Jewish. And I started getting into Judaism like my the summer after my tenth grade year, two thousand seven. What was this thing? I just lost my train of thought. I partied too hard last night and didn't sleep. <laughs> so obviously, uh, partying is not against the rules. <laughs> I partied way too hard. And marijuana is not against the rules. Uh, because marijuana is actually kosher, and uh, we were talking about this when we were trying to set this episode up. And there are uh, there are certain kosher cigars, but it, it's the leavening agents, right? Yeah, for Passover. And now it's for Passover. Know, now it's all free games. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like soak the tobacco and alcohol, or how it's made. So then I asked all my cigar connoisseurs, "Tell me, you guys smoke cigars during this week?" And they're like, "Nope." <laughs> I was like, "Darn." 
Okay, so there's, so there's one type of cigar called. And you had I don't it. know. It's called. I didn't have it. Solomon something or other. I think I have to order it online. Okay. I forgot what it was called, but maybe for next next uh, Passover, we'll have to have you back on the show, and we'll all smoke the uh, kosher cigar and see how it compares. I heard it was good. Somebody told me it was good, but um, I met my wife when she was my music teacher in college in high school, but she wasn't faculty. She was like a student teacher for the college. That's what they all say, man. A, I met her at band camp. I'm, you were groomed. She plays euphoniums, so I don't want to know her band camp stories. <laughs> I, so I was playing trombone, and then when she came onto the scene, she's like, "Can you play euphonium? Because we need a euphonium player." And I was like, "Sure." So I switched that. I can, you know, I can learn an instrument a week. And then some guy body instrumentalist. Was, I'm like, how, what, what is thirteen or twelve? Uh, Mormon for instrumental. Mormon <laughs> <laughs> musician. But when you play classical piano, you can learn anything. So I was like, okay. So I learned the tuba. And, uh, you know, then I went to college and she was my section leader in band and my bully. You said bully? No, she was my bully. She was like, she was like cool. And when I started college, she was like very hard on me. I almost switched majors. I think it's the, uh, the Sultan of Desire in you. It's very uh, intimidating for others that, that know you. So it's a fight or flight response, I think. Right. <laughs> yeah, you know, one day, like, you know, I was already into it by high school, and then she, you know, got into it and went to uh, class, and there was a rabbi that came to Fort Sill, and that's when I got involved. That was my first Jew, oh, other than the guy I went to school with that I didn't know was Jewish. But um, he, uh, she, she came, and she was started learning Hasidic philosophy, and she Hasidic philosophy is like Kabbalah, esoteric, and she just she, now she's a Hasidic woman. Oh, yeah, but when I was with the guy, the the rabbi, he was on the base. He was a chaplain. Um, my friend from high school, his mother was there speaking Hebrew. I was like, why is Matt's mom speaking Hebrew? And then it's just like, oh, I get it. She's Jewish. She's Israeli. I never met his mom before. <laughs> and do you speak more Hebrew or Yiddish? I don't speak them, but I can learn books in Hebrew. Okay. I just can't speak it. I mean, I can say things. But I can this understand. Is probably, oh, okay. Sorry? I was going to say this is probably probably a little out of pocket, and I don't mean it in the way that it's intended. Um, but when I'm absolutely shit faced, I can understand German. <laughs> oh my goodness! Something something happened to me when when I'm like you know hungry and like low blood sugar. I understood French on the okay. TV screen. I don't know if that. I only happened once. I, I never had the opportunity to try to see French when I was low blood sugar again. Oh yeah. Well, that's not not a state you want to. Because uh, I'm diabetic, it's not a state you want to repeat usually. Right. I mean, being drunk and high is one thing, but you know, low blood sugar is completely different. Well, I had a nice night. You know, we all went to a bar, and I wanted my I don't know. We'll call her my former female domestic associate. I was talking to her Perfect. on the phone for like three hours the other night. And I was like, you really have to meet my friends. Like, if you meet my like my new friends, like you'll be like, where were you guys all my life? It's like, you have to come to my birthday. Well, it was like, my birthday was during Passover, so we did everything late. And she came last night. It was really fun. And she hit it off with them. And we stayed till like 3 a.m. And then I came home and didn't sleep. This is the way. This is the, this way. Is the way. And I had, my, <laughs> I had my podcast that we did at 2 o'clock. And it was a couple hours. And then boom, boom, boom. I haven't crashed yet. There we go, but we still have over half the stick left, so everybody stay tuned. Simha may crash during this episode. Mm-hmm. So now you have rabbis and rebbes. Or are they yeah. uh, inter- interchangeable? I-, I thought you explained to me the rebbe was a little more 
less like church leadership type and more like spiritual type? Or yeah, am I kind of off yeah, base on like, that? No, the the Rebbe or a Rebbe is the like a leader, like the head of a Hasidic dynasty. And there's different movements and they come from different places in Europe. And they're all named by their places. So okay. I'm part of a very large, influential Hasidic movement called Chabad. And, excuse me, um, the leader of our movement, the head of our movement is Rabbi Menachem Mendel Schneerson. Um, part of the reason you have food stamps, uh, I don't know if you guys have food, but part of the reason we have food stamps. But he was a very influential figure. He really, like, compared to all the others, he was really big. The world leaders would visit him. He, uh, John Voigt. Actor John Voigt had a you know okay. had a relationship with and um, Bob Bob Dylan Bob Dylan spent some time in the yeshiva I went to yeshiva is like a seminary okay and Bob Dylan's from Minnesota where Mike and I both are yep nice. Hibbing um, Hibbing which is near Virginia as a callback to our previous conversation yes <laughs> I believe Bob Dylan was the original original mumble rapper. So I haven't really got in into any of his stuff because it's all like mumbly jumbly. Mike and Mike's gonna fight me afterwards for saying that. So it's all right, you know. <laughs> some of us were not born in Minnesota, where Bob Dylan is uh, required listening in your teenage years. You know. <laughs> well, and some of us weren't born in Wisconsin, where winning Super Bowls is part of your heritage. I thought you were gonna say binge drinking lightning kugels. Hey now, <laughs> that and serial killers, right? Oh, homosexual serial killers, I think, is your specialty, isn't it? I don't know about my personal specialty, but <laughs> maybe the States. <laughs> Dahmer was well done, by the way, just for the record, if you guys haven't seen it. No, I, I haven't have seen that yet. We did do an episode on the uh, the Manson family. Oh. We did. Not quite the same as uh, Dahmer, though. No, no, not quite the same. Similar, but different. <laughs> Charles Manson had some good songs. His music isn't bad. It's not. That's what Mike was saying the whole episode when we were talking about the Manson family. He's like, you got to check out his music and uh, become part of his like sex cult thing. <laughs> <laughs> I, I sent the message to my friend. I was like, this song is really good. Am I allowed to like this? <laughs> <laughs> Look at your game, I mean, that's, girl. That's kind of the strange thing, though. I mean, I mean nowadays, right? Uh, so many of these musicians and stuff have, you know, like rape charges or all these weird, weird things going on. And I mean, I know some of it is, uh, you know, haters going to hate and try and drag you through court. But some of it's legit, you know, like Chris Brown beating women and and stuff. So Kelly. it's like, well, can I still like the music or not? not? I'm not saying I like Chris Brown's music or R. Kelly's music, but, you know, there's some other big names out there and bands that have kicked singers or guitarists out of their band because they were doing things with underage people, you know? Yeah. And I forgot what, what the band was. Lost Profits. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I remember hearing about that. Yeah, Lost Profits. You know, that's why I haven't written the song yet. I'm not broken enough and I'm not crazy enough to write songs. Okay, I thought you were going to go a different way with that, and I was like, oh my God, <laughs> are we going to have some kind of weird confession on the show? Um, <laughs> I haven't hit enough women, I haven't. <laughs> right? You would think after everything I went through in the past, like, you know, since August, like, at least a decent song will come out of it. Yeah. <laughs> well, we believe in you. <laughs> One of these days. You know, you can just write a country song, uh, being from Oklahoma, and just throw out the generic platitudes and it should be good to go you know and make it metal 
Every yeah, every time you talk about a truck, just swap it out for uh, you know like uh, the Baptist God or the Christian God, and you could make it a, a Hasidic uh, Jewish heavy metal song, right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> Jewish heavy metal song. I am playing. There's got to be Jewish heavy metal. There has to. There be. has to be. I thought just to make it one of those heavy metal songs, you sat on a vinyl uh, seat enough to wear it down to get your name, your band name, and then. You just play all the instruments as fast as you can and scream unintelligible things into the microphone. Like, what? where is the writing in that? Just start that. screaming, man. Just start screaming. Scream into the void and see that. if it screams back. You know how I really, I really like see, try to see myself as, and like ideally would be like Corey Taylor from Slipknot. Yeah, with the mask and everything. Like just him as like a person. I don't know if you guys are like familiar with like him as the person. No, no, I mean, I'm familiar with the band. <laughs> the whole band's from like, Iowa, I've always I think. Had this, right. I've always had this kind of philosophy, like, you know, just because you're a specific religion doesn't mean your music has to have the religious content. I mean, mine would be spiritual, probably, just that's because who I am. But also, like, there's some good, like, meaningful, heartfelt lyrics about, like, you know, whatever life brings you. Yeah, I mean, I I really appreciate that because there are a lot of bands that, like, I don't know if Korn went full-on Christian music. But you can definitely sing about things in your life without making it so oddly specific that only people that share that exact belief system like it, you know? Right. I mean, how how much how many lyrics on like, you know, esoteric Kabbalistic concepts can one write? Well, if you're a fatalist, they've all been written already and we're now we're just recycling <laughs> everything. But if you're an optimist, then there's an infinite amount of, of things left to write. <laughs> right, right. And I mean, I like writing, uh, writing movies and things, and so I would like to think that there's still, still things out there to say. Uh, although I've been on a, a quite a dry spell, except uh, two years ago, I finally writ, wrote. Yeah, I writ. I'm a good writer. I writ something down. See, it's those years in Oklahoma getting me. I do the National Novel Writing Month every year, and uh, I finally finished it. Fifty thousand words. Uh, two years ago, oh, wow. I finally finished it. Uh, which isn't long in terms of novel, but it's, you know, it's technically a novel, but I haven't gone back to revise it or anything because I'm kind of like, I spent a whole month with that. I'm kind of, <laughs> I need a break <laughs> for a couple of years. I just need discipline. Yeah. I mean, the point is I'd like to think there's still stories out there to tell despite what, oh, you know, sure. Mar Marvel and Hollywood would lead you to believe. But well, if I, if I may give this opportunity to give a shout out to my podcast, because we're going to stories to tell team spirit art house is something that my friend from Oklahoma has made. I don't know if you know what an art house is. It's a new concept for me, and I can't really fully describe what, because it's a multifaceted thing, and he's into film and animation. But one okay. of the things is the podcast. So it's not like the podcast is Team Spirit Art House. That is the name of the podcast, but it's like part of this larger thing that he's trying to create. And like there's a whole website and everything, and he's, he's they're these two non-Jewish guys. I know from Oklahoma because... We were part of this movement called the Hebrew Roots Movement. It's like, you know, Christians that start to do Jewish things, but they're still Christian. Like okay. They still have like the Christian mindset, the Trinitarianism and the eternal hell, whatever. Then I met him through that and he introduced me to Hasidic philosophy and Kabbalah, which like quickly got me out of the Christian mindset. And well, long story short, here I am. Um, but he had a stroke. He's like 45 and he, he sends me a message and says, you know, can you help me? Like, I can't do all of this myself, and I had a stroke, and it's, it's more exhausting. And I said, yeah. So I was helping him with some research and ideas, so he doesn't have to research 
the Jewish concepts he's looking for because I have them right here. I have like five IKEA bookshelves full of books. Then he asked me if I wanted to be on his podcast the same week you asked me if I wanted to do a, to be on here. Yeah. So when we made a WhatsApp group with this other guy who he met online named Elias Dan, who's like into cult, he has all these different podcasts. And when we were talking on the WhatsApp group, he said, uh, what should we list Simcha as? And he says, a co-host. So I was like, oh, I'm co-hosting now. <laughs> so that's that's kind of how it started. They recorded one episode <clears throat> and we did like, I don't know, the last three Sundays recording stuff. Like there was an introduction of me. I was telling my story. And then I guess it's all going to be edited. And then this Walter Benjamin, we they interviewed a, a doctor or professor who's like an expert in Walter Benjamin. Well, that's what we did today. Yeah, and I will say, uh, you sent me your, uh, it was like a three or five minute video that you did for the uh, Art House, Team Spirit Art, Art House, and I really enjoyed that. And you also sent me a video about whether or not Hitler was in hell, which I really thoroughly enjoyed. Do you remember that one? Was that the rabbi? Yeah, that was a rabbi, and he was like, nope, Hitler <laughs> ceased to oh. exist, or whatever. Um, he was he was talking about how there's no eternal hell, and people should throw it, whoever believes that should throw it out. Yeah. He's from Minnesota. or not? He's, I don't think he's from Minnesota. He's from Crown Heights, probably, but he, for a while, I don't know if he still lives there, but he had his whole thing in Minnesota. Okay. Yeah, I really enjoyed that Apple video. And uh yeah, I don't know. Uh I was I was reading something today where it was like, I don't know, twenty things that people believe were in the Bible but actually aren't. And there's not a whole lot of devil or eternal hell run by the devil uh in in the in the Bible. And so like the levels of hell comes from Dante, not from the Bible. Mm-hmm. And uh there's nothing really in the Bible that says that Satan oversees the eternal torture in hell. Uh, and, and it's more that hell is as far away from God as that you can be. And so that would be the worst thing for an angel to be, but it doesn't it's the really. Washing machine. Yeah. 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 It's the washing machine. The, the, the devil as they call it, but we call him the Satan or Satan, but we say the Satan, which means adversary. He's like a prosecutor in court. Okay. So he's not, he's not like God's alter ego or whatever, like Christianity kind of has portrayed him to be. Does he, in, in your religion, does he put uh, the temptation in you, like in, in, the Christ, in the Christian religion, where it's kind of like, well, Satan was tempting me that day or something? Well, we, we can't really blame him, but he's the type of guy that I, I think, from my understanding, you ever want to listen to Bill Hicks? Yes. Yeah. I, I use this as an analogy. I don't know if it's a weak analogy, but Bill Hicks was talking about it was a government thing where he's like... uh you know, pick up the gun. The guy picks up the gun, so the other guy shot him. He's like, look, he had a gun. Does that make sense? Yeah, classic. So, right, so that's that's kind of, I think, what, what the Satan does. Put something in you, you give him the temptation or whatever it may be, and then in the heavenly court, he's like, look, look what he did. Yeah, the fact that I was there is irrelevant. <laughs> look what he did. Sounds like the FBI. <laughs> Sounds like our government. <laughs> <laughs> that Palpatine, right? A surprise to be sure, but a welcome one. Yeah, we haven't, uh, speaking about unwelcome surprises, uh, I don't think we talked about the new three movies that Disney just announced where Ray Palpatine, sorry, Skywalker, is coming back to to be the uh, Jedi Jesus, as it were, uh, and to resurrect and save all of the Jedi. This will be the new movie directed by a female starring a female Jedi who had I don't know, three and a half minutes of training of how to drink milk out of a seal's nipple or something. <laughs> uh, but she's she's going to be back, and she's going to save the Jedi. 
So I, for one, cannot wait. So where are we holding on the three movies that came out in the last few years? The sequels, or are you talking like... Um, the, the Disney sequels. Uh, we, we shall not speak their names. Oh, I the won't. Ray Triad? The Ray Triad? Uh, if they would have came out with Darth Jar Jar, I would have been okay with them. But other than that... They are uh, horrible. They should have been banned. I don't know if you heard the uh, Mike Loves Ahsoka episode, but if they would have put Ahsoka in there, Mike would have been over the moon happy, and he would be trying to propose to Kathleen Kennedy right now, probably. But <laughs> yeah, Ahsoka, Ahsoka is my uh, not Jedi, not a Force-sensitive crush. Oh, there yeah. we go. I don't know. I don't want to put words in Mike's mouth. I'll let his episode on Ahsoka do that for him. But uh, he probably feels a little stronger. <laughs> well, you know. Well, I think I think the 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 trouble with the trilogy for me was uh, everything. But the biggest thing was that they had three directors lined up. And they told them, do whatever kind of movie you want to do. And they never really got together to write out a cohesive trilogy story. So, like, J.J. did the first one, or Rain Wilson, or I don't know who did it. Rain, I, I don't know. Somebody did the first one. And then somebody else did the second one. And then the first director came back and did the third one. But they never really talked to one another about what would happen. And that was supposed to give them full creative control. But it led to very overly muddled and uh, plot points that got dropped because the second movie then didn't pick up any of the plot points that were set up in the first one because they didn't have to talk to one another. They had full creative control. And I don't think any of them had even seen any of the movies or the Clone Wars or Rebels or any of the other stuff that was out there. And they just said, hey, wouldn't it be neat? And it wasn't. But in the, in yeah, the first I... one... Oh, go on. No, go ahead, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, uh, in the first and second one, there's at least one scene that I enjoyed that I was like, hey, that's really cool. Uh, in the first one, it was Kylo Ren stopping the blaster bolt in midair. I thought that was pretty cool. Just, you know, cinematically. And then uh, the scene right. that everybody hated, but I loved, was when they uh, hyperspaced through the Star Destroyer. And the way that they brought everything together, together with the editing and the, the visuals and the silence, it was phenomenally done. Like, they used up their entire yeah. cocaine budget on that one scene. <laughs> And then they went back to meth. Like, I don't know why, but... Um, and then in the third one, I don't even remember what what happened, except there was like a there was a dagger there for some reason, because that's what people in the Star Wars universe use. I don't think anyone's ever used a dagger ever in Star Wars. Huh. Mandalorian, they have some weird fighting dagger stuff. Yeah. I listened to this guy named Star Wars Theory. I don't know if... Uh, I'm assuming that you guys are obsessed enough to, to have found him. Um, but I used, to, I used to defend the Disney sequels a little bit. And I mean, I like the characters and I, I, I would like movies all my friends think were crap. So I guess, you know, it's not really saying much that I enjoyed them. But after listening to him and what he was bringing up about, like how they, you know, Lucas's idea for the sequels was different. And they basically said they're not contractually obligated, but they would stick to what he wanted. And they didn't. It was an entirely different thing. And yeah. that's what like changed my whole mind about it. I just think the sequels had a lot of missed opportunities. Largely because of what Nate was talking about. You know, they could have had a very interesting storyline with Finn, and they didn't. They could have inter interesting storylines with all the characters, but instead they wanted to have blue milk and magical uh, finding of abilities instead of earning. Uh, instead of earning yeah, like, your place in the world. None of us, like, I, watching the original trilogy, I never once thought to myself, 
I really wonder where that blue milk comes from. And yet here, here's Disney answering it for me, and I never asked. And I don't need a scene of supposedly the most powerful Jedi, Luke Skywalker, drinking straight from the nipple of this thing. <laughs> like, it was, like, it's that shocking of a scene in a Star Wars movie, <laughs> in any movie. And, and, I'm not, and, you know, like, all the people, breast is best, and, and nursing in public is natural, and, and all that stuff. That's not what this is about. This is, it's a, it's a, I don't know what it was, I don't know what the, what the animal was. And the porgs were kind of, like, terribly comical. Uh, except then Chewie, Chewie like burned one, didn't he? He was like grilling one rotisserie style. Oh yeah, that? he was. Yeah. And it's like, okay. Um, so I don't know. It was very, I, I guess uneven would be the best way to, to, to sum them up. Even within the movies, they were uneven. And one of my buddies uh, dragged me to the last one, the rise of Palpatine, sorry, the rise of Skywalker. <laughs> and we were watching it and watching it and watching it. And I'm sitting there going like, what in the hell is going on here? But he really wanted to go. And I'm like, I'll go with you, man. Like, you, you don't have to fly solo. I'll come with you. And then the lights came up at the end. And he turns to me and he goes, what the hell did we just watch? <laughs> and I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. What, what, what did Finn want to tell Ray? That he loved her? That he was force sensitive? I don't know. I honestly didn't think about that at all. That wasn't one of the questions the, the sequel trilogy left me with. Most of mine were, how did this happen? How could I get paid that amount of money to make this level of output? And what is Kathleen Kennedy still doing there? So, Cats was a better the, movie. The people say that Palpatine somehow survived. And they were like, how did he survive? Lucas told, um, uh, I can't think of his name right now because I haven't had sleep. But I know all their names because I'm, bu- I'm, I'm uh, Ian McDermott. Palpatine. Yeah. He yep. said that Lucas told him that Palpatine was officially dead, but like in like Star Wars Legends or somewhere in the Star Wars universe, the expanded universe, the Palpatine clones himself. So like I was just thinking, well, that's not that's not necessarily a crazy thing to say that you know there's another Palpatine. I think it was I think it was just easy for them to do. That's probably why they did it. But um, and also uh, say there's also like people criticize the ending where Ray says Ray Skywalker. And I think because of my, like, you know, involved in, in, in Judaism, like, in, in my religion, like, there's a concept of somebody teaches somebody Torah, it's as if he fathered him or as if he parented him. So I was just kind of thinking, well, they taught her the Jedi wisdom, and, like, why would you want to be a Palpatine? So, like, it almost made sense that, you know, she kind of saw them as parents. That was, like, my defense of it. Yeah, and I don't have a super huge, huge issue outside of it kind of being lazy writing i think uh because she could have been a skywalker she it would have and they kind of set her up as like a nobody so she could have been a nobody like why does she have to be a palpatine or a skywalker it would have been better if she was a nobody and then chose the skywalker name like that would have felt more earned i think writing wise right um fyi guys i am about halfway through my cigar and we usually do a cigar check Cigar check, and uh, I, I'm enjoying we'll do a it. Hand, we'll, do, we'll do a hand check later, because we have talked about Ahsoka quite a bit, so Mike, let's see those hands. <laughs> Too late. Too late. <laughs> well, at least we're all remote, right? Exactly. Right? <laughs> Wipe it off the uh, microphone. I'm getting muffled. <laughs> Thanks for being quick on the mute, mute button, Mike. For the first time ever. Yes. <laughs> no, but I'm enjoying my cigar. It's good. Uh, yeah. It's uh, no flavor change, which we talk about that. It takes some work to make them taste smooth and similar the whole way through. So 
it's uh it's good pleasant yeah i've been liking it it's it's dark not overly dark and uh but it's spicy i still have uh some spicy aftertaste in my mouth um from my last puff and i don't know it's it's kind of a solid flavor that i that i enjoy what are your thoughts nice my my friend always has good recommendations so you know they're all like libertarian like anarchist attorneys all these people that like smoke cigars, all the people that I go like talk to, they're all Hasidic Jews. I'm like, yo, what do you recommend? <laughs> Anything that they recommend has been good. Well, it's excellent to have friends like that. That's uh, Mike for me. <laughs> oh, geez. Yes, indeed. Some of my friends from the synagogue, these same people, they have a fire pit that we, you know, was somebody's house. We just kind of frequent on a Saturday night. And like always somebody brings like a big bag of cigars. It's like fire pit cigars and like '90s music. Nice, you know, Mike. Chicago's not that far away. No, it's not. No, it's not at all. Uh, my Sarah and I were talking about maybe making a uh, trip to go to Chicago, visit the museums and the zoo and all that fun stuff, and the Shedd Aquarium. And they've got a lot of uh, Frank Lloyd Wright. Yes, yes, I want to see some of those buildings. I'm an architecture minor, so the uh, Frank Lloyd Wright boner is strong with me. <laughs> That's an architectural term. It has nothing to do with an actual erection. <laughs> By the way, are you still uh, into Ayn Rand? Uh, no. We did a whole thing. Uh, I think we talked about it on the podcast fairly extensively, but I have forsaken her and her clan and have moved on to Stoicism. That's what I thought, because... I was going to say, despite being an atheist, uh, I do believe it's very important for a person to have a strong philosophical grounding point in their life. And it could be religion, and it could be philosophy, and it could be, you know, whatever whatever it is. But I think that you kind of always need external input on things. And uh, Stoicism is kind of everything that Ayn Rand wasn't. Uh, but, you know, there I do like the one thing that she said, which was don't accept unearned guilt. But the rest of her stuff is very, very black and white. And actually, that's how Mike and I met is I was in Ayn Rand Black and Whiteville, and he was in Mikeville, uh, for lack of a better term, and uh, we butted heads and uh, and actually did not like each other at all when we first met. <laughs> My uh, our, mutu- our, our mutual friend um, yes. here in, in Chicago, you influenced her to, to read Ayn Rand, which she saw as the books, and she tried to reread them several years ago, and she's like, I can't do this. She's like, this this is terrible. But whenever I knew her from college, she was very much into it. Yeah, and I kept uh, her novels, but I got rid of all the other stuff because she did a lot of like essays and like pontificating and things. But I do enjoy Atlas Shrugged, even though it's a absolute bear to read because it's fucking massive and long. But I kept kind of the novels because I was like, well, you know, you can read a novel and not be sucked into the whole philosophy uh, kind of thing. So. I enjoyed uh, Atlas Shrugged, but I have to admit, when I read it, I did skip the 150-page monologue. Oh, yeah, that uh, one's a bear. That cha- that chapter is a bear. Uh, but yeah, without that, it's a, it's a really good book. There's a book, like, I, I don't, I haven't read most, I mean, I just kind of started. It's, and I haven't been continuing, like, I got, like, five bookshelves of holy books that I'm, like, you know, going through, so. But it's called Democracy, the God That Failed by Hans Hermann Hupp. Yeah, you sent me that, and I've got the PDF to read. I'm reading, and I'm going like, you know, I never, I grew up in a Republicanville, and when I became like, you know, started learning Judaism, like I left Republicanism. I was never like a Republican. I never identified as that. I played video games and read Lord of the Rings growing up. Um, you know, Harry but... Potter's a minion of the devil. <laughs> 
Do you oh, yeah, think I was that, not allowed uh, to read Harry Potter. Yeah, that's witchcraft. But you were allowed to read Lord of the Rings? Yeah, but I, I went behind my mom's back and read Harry Potter. And then as I, as I got older, she went to see the movies with me. But she went through a phase. Um, but, like, all my, like, anti-political views when I'm talking to my friends, they're like, it's, I, I said, I, this is just how I feel. Like, I don't have any sort of intellectual, like, you know, thing behind it. And he's like, well, if you read Democracy the God That Failed, you know, a lot of what you're saying is, is in there. I'm very much influenced. I don't know, like, some people think libertarians are these, like, I don't know, I guess there's two different types. I guess there's those, like, crazy right-wing types. I don't know. Again, I'm not really educated in that. So when I said libertarian in my podcast, my friend's like, I just want to confirm what you mean, because in Tennessee, libertarianism is, like, different. I'm like, no, these are, like, these are the guys that get accused of being leftists when a a Republican is president, and they get accused of being a conservative when a a Democrat is president, these types of libertarians. Yeah, I think the problem is the most vocal groups of libertarians uh, kind of co-opted that term, right? So now you can't say libertarian without thinking about the Tea Party uh, party. Right. And even they kind of co-opted the Tea Party stuff, whereas like, it doesn't mean what it means anymore. And now you can't even have the don't tread on me flag without being, without somebody thinking you're a racist. You know what I mean? Like they've, like these outspoken groups have taken something that meant something completely different and have taken it to mean like uber conservative racist asshat. And now <laughs> the rest of us have to find a different term to call, call ourselves because I don't want to be labeled a libertarian or Tea Party. You know, I want to be labeled something different. Um, maybe nothing at all. Um, my pronouns are none. Please don't refer to me. <laughs> I took a political compass. I don't know uh, how accurate those are. Uh, people say that we're pretty good. I answered all the questions according to my best of my knowledge, and I had, and most of it had to be based on my Jewish values. Because I, yeah. again, I'm not like an expert in a lot of the stuff that people are talking about. And it, it said I'm libertarian, like a little left of center. Sure. So I'm, that's what uh, the result was. I would uh, be considered libertarian left. So I'm uh, about three quarters of the way on the libertarian, and about three quarters of the way on the left. So yeah, I don't remember exactly what mine was, but it was a lot further left than I originally thought. You know, and I think that part of the reason is the right has been getting further and further to the right, so that anything even close to center now is considered left, which is kind of fucked up. It is, because I always get accused of being leftist. Well, you know, anybody left of uh, certain right-wing political figures uh, in America are considered to be to the left, you know? So if you're left of, uh, what do they like, Pat Roberts. Well, even Pat Roberts is left now in, on issues, supposedly. Uh, but if you're left of, let's say, uh, oh, who's some hardcore right-winger that is... Marjorie Taylor uh, Green. Yes, if you're if you're left of Marjorie Taylor Green, you're a leftist, you know. So even Pat Ro- is, yeah, Pat Robertson is okay with trans people. He doesn't think that they should be uh, harassed, and he's a televangelist for fuck's sake. So it's kind of crazy, and uh, we talk about that issue here a bit, and it's like we're talking about such a small percentage of the population that it, who cares what's going on, <laughs> you know. Well, it doesn't affect anybody, so what's the difference? Yeah, and we, I mean, and really, like, we try to be, even even off the podcast here, we try to be as reasoned out as we can, you know, and we think about things, and we have a whole episode that we talk about kind of, you know, trans rights and, and some of these bills that are out about, uh, you know, a, a lot of the outspoken, right? So all of these things in the, in the national media are outspoken people. They're not the, the majority of people. They're the far left or far right. 
And the far left outspoken people say every kid deserves a sex change operation. And the far right says they're kids and you shouldn't and nobody should be getting a sex change. And, you know, there's somewhere in the middle that I think our society needs to get to, right? Some some people need it because uh, and some people don't. And you need to kind of protect the kids in both senses where the kids need to be protected if they legitimately need it and they need to be protected if they're following a trend or a fad. I mean, I carried pogs around to school. Oh gosh, I remember those. Cardboard circles. Like I carried those. Somebody should have protected me from those. Um, And then the school banned them. So we went on to something else. But, you know, I mean, as a kid and even as adults, there's lots of these transitory fads that kind of go on like like Bitcoins and uh, cryptocurrency and stuff. And Texas Hold'em. My friend and I were doing some research on transgender and Jewish law. This is a real question, especially nowadays. I don't know how much of a question it was back then. But, um, you know, because men are obligated to certain commandments that women aren't. Um, so yeah. if a person transitions and gets a sex change operation, does this person still keep the commandments of that all, all of them just like a man? Or would it just be like a Jewish woman? And we found one contemporary authority on Jewish law who rules a lot more liberal in a lot of his uh, a lot of his rulings, and he says that they he recognize they, they recognize the, the sex change, and he would be she would be considered a Jewish woman, and her obligations would be thus. And that's so that's reasonable. not going to stop like people who like got sucked into society. Unfortunately, that's what happens. And so you know you have Jews, unfortunately, that are very right wing. And you have those that are libertarian, you have those that don't care. <laughs> and I don't know, like, this is not like some topic of discussion at synagogues or anything. My friend and I were talking about these people, like, it's not easy being them. It's not like so simple as some, like, you know, woke dude just wanting to become a woman. Like, these people go through some shit. And so that's why we were trying to find, like, these sources. It's better to have these people be, you know, in our mind, the religious Jews, than, like, being made to feel like they can't be religious because of their identity. Yeah, for sure. And that's super interesting because, you know, that's been some of the criticisms of, let's just say, the Bible, because that's what I'm more familiar with, is, you know, if if God and Jesus were all-knowing, why didn't they put uh, in the New Testament, you know, thou shalt not send dick pics to <laughs> minors? Yeah, right. You know, uh, so, I mean, a lot of it's open to interpretation, but it's not willy-nilly interpretation. It's, you know, you need the the people, the right people, to look at it and study it and in accordance with everything else and, you know, the overall, I mean, even the Constitution was designed as, as sort of a living document to, to some extent, you know, because there's an amendment process, which is, I, we've never seen an amendment in our lifetime, I don't believe, no. Mike, have we? So, you know, it's not something that happens very frequently, but there are definitely Supreme Court cases that come and redefine things that have previously been decided. You know, and right now it's the the abortion stuff and the access to the abortion pills and and medications. And uh, I don't know what ten years ago or so, or maybe longer than that, because I don't want to believe I'm as old as I am. Uh, it was you know same sex marriage, and they decided on that. But it's always kind of one of those things where you can go back and change your definitions uh, as as the environment changes. Yep, that's why we have. Uh... The Talmud, which is a, I don't know if you've ever seen these people accuse the Talmud of being black magic, but it's just a bunch of legal discussions. And then we just use the logic of those okay. discussions, like books and books of Jewish law have been written for like, you know, over the past 2000 years for contemporary times, because some things just weren't, they didn't exist back then. So how do we do it? So then 
you have these people that are experts in, in Jewish law, and then this is what they do. They get together and they decide based on sources. Everything has to be based on sources. It can't be made up. Yeah. So very much unlike our government. <laughs> right. I, well, Nate and I have talked about this before. Inf- inflation must be higher, therefore it is. And now the post office is trying to raise the stamp price to 66 cents. Uh, because inflation wasn't enough for you and I to to shoulder, so they're going to hit us somewhere else. All my dear Abby letters are going to be more expensive. <laughs> I'll be published one of these days. I tell dear you, dear Abby, is dear Abby Last still night. being actively dear Abby, published? The CEO of my company was making eyes at me. Dear Abby, what mm-hmm. do I do? <laughs> D- dear Abby, my friend <laughs> said that transgendered women aren't allowed to be on the girls volleyball team. What should I do? <laughs> Dear Abby, Kathleen Kennedy is still employed at Disney. What do I do? Uh, on a serious note, uh, did you guys see the interview with John McCain's wife where she said that everybody knew about Jeffrey Epstein and they knew what he was doing, what was going on. They just didn't know who they could report him to. I didn't see he it. didn't see it. I didn't, but that, uh, but that <laughs> is what I've been saying all along. That's what Mike and I have been saying all along. You don't go to a pedophile island see pedophilia going on and then be like, no, I didn't see anything. It's like Bohemian Grove, right? Like everybody knows what's going on. (laughs) Yeah. Or uh, what's that place in Florida with the spring break? And it's like, Fort Lauderdale. Right. Like, you know what's going on. Yeah. If your wife goes to Fort Lauderdale for for spring break, you know, it's, that's not a good situation. (laughs) (laughs) How do people trust these people? I don't understand how people trust politicians. I really don't. I don't Stupid people. But they all watch. They all watch the news media. They're plugged into the machine, and the news media repeats every story like twice an hour, and then that's the only story they think of. And that's why, like everything in our culture, is so transient. Uh, one week it's school shootings. One week it's uh, Bud Light beer cans. The next week it's uh, USPS stamps going up. The next week it's you know Russia doing something else or Ukraine doing something else. Like everything's on a two week cycle. If you if you kind of like stop and pay attention. And they released, it was years ago now, but the Panama Papers and the Pandora Papers, and it was outlining how all of the uber-rich and the ruling class, meaning all of our politicians, uh, keep all their money in these offshore accounts to circumvent taxation. And they all came out, and everybody was all up in arms. And then the uh, the journalist who broke the story the first time uh, wound up uh, committing suicide in their jail cell? No, wait, that was Epstein. I'm sorry. But they died anyway. This journalist, didn't kill uh, I'm sure of a suicide. No, yeah, of course he did. Of course he did. I mean, the, the security camera at this high security facility just happened to go out, and then his guards just happened to walk away, you know, at the same time, magically. Not like there's an alarm on things like that at high security facilities. I mean, that would be su- magical. Yeah, they they have... Alarms on <laughs> security footage are magical. I don't know. The government takes hardly any taxes from you or I. And they can't afford a battery backup generator thing. You know, they're like less than a hundred bucks to go get a real nice one that'll run your fridge in a power outage. But yeah, high security, they don't, they can't afford backups for those cameras and the guards have their union mandated breaks. So it was the union's fault really and all the libtards, yeah, right? unionism is horrible. This ban union. If the Republicans would have had their way, they would have, they would have went in there and shot him themselves instead of hanging him and trying to make it look like a suicide. Wait, I'm sorry. Did I say that out loud? <laughs> Makes total sense. You know, one of his conspirators committed suicide in prison, too, in France. Shocking. I know. It's yeah. weird. It's real weird. Strange, strange how that stuff happens. I guess these high-power people are 
really emotionally yeah, unstable. Yeah. Wow, that makes a lot of sense. Or something. It's, uh, yeah, the 100%. If you're just not paying attention, it's fine. <laughs> yeah, if you just plug into the, the national media, it doesn't matter if it's CNN, Fox, or whatever the other ones are. They just repeat the cycles. And it's, it's always the distractionary technique is the other side is to blame. Get mad at them. Get mad at your neighbor because your neighbor wants to do something different than you do. They cheer for a different football team. How can you trust them? And uh, that's all people think about. And that's why, and that's legitimately why I quit watching football was because everybody got so wound up about millionaires hitting each other, trying to chase a ball around the field. And and they would get downright mean. And it's like, we're watching millionaires and we're supposed to be entertained and we're fighting each other over it. Like, stop. You got to stop. Be it, the masses. Right? it is the opiate boom. of the masses. Boom, I really boom, like boom. how they throw around uh, cultural Marxism uh, now as like a, some sort of weird insult. I don't even know if it has a definition in reality, that term. You know what I mean? It's like the boogeyman. You might as well say the boogeyman. Yeah. It's it's almost like terrorism, right? I mean, terrorism's totally a thing, but after 9-11, anybody that did anything that was upset about anything anywhere ever was terrorism or <laughs> domestic terrorism. They're a domestic terrorist. We can waterboard you now. We don't have to give you your your God-given rights to a fair trial or to anything uh, because you're a terrorist. Therefore, you forego all of your wow. rights. America! Fuck yeah! Freedom costs a buck oh five. Uh, or with inflation, uh, $10.57. And you, know, Nate, you just have to appreciate that you have the freedom to do what you're told. God damn it. I do, and I would love to do that as an American citizen here. And all these communist bastards... Well, we're going to get them. I don't know how. We're going to drive over our pothole roads and our tanks, and we're going to get them. We got our EVs. We're going to oh, get them. I em. wanted to talk about that. Did uh, did you guys see that uh, Biden's new plan is to get EVs to be two-thirds of all vehicle sales by 2035? I didn't hear about that. Yeah, you sent me that video. I sent, yeah, I sent Nate uh, a video. and Did I send you the New York Times article, too? I can't remember, but... Uh, yeah, but it's behind a paywall, and apparently I've used up my quota for free New York Times. Sure. Uh, I thought that was the first fucking amendment, freedom of the press, and why do I got to pay to read journalism? Well, you know, it's the New York Times. Is that journalism, really? I've, uh, I know. <laughs> is any of the journalism journalism, really? We were it's just journalism. talking about today in the podcast. Walter Benjamin made a lot, of, uh, a lot of profound statements and predictions. I'm not a Walter Benjamin expert to explain it here. Um, when that episode comes out, Listen to it. The guy talks about it. Uh, I think that you guys are really, really like it. <laughs> the things that he was talking about is like, wow, people need this in our times, you know? The way in media, I don't remember what, what specifically, but media, how it affects culture, how it affects society, and, and he, just art. We're not even talking about news. But he, but we did talk about how, like, you know, you can't trust these news sources because it's about what the consumer wants, and they're just giving it. Turn to Fox News, you're going to get... Yeah, it's like uh, infotainment right. is what it is. Right. They give you just enough of what actually happened, and then they spin it and spin I it. I think Nate has, but have you ever read any Noam Chomsky? I'm familiar. Okay, so one of the big ideas is manufacturing consent, and that affects media and any sort of thing we see in the national news where you don't get to be in that position unless you already agree with the consensus opinion. Wow. And that's part of the problem, you know? You don't get to be there unless you truly believe with the consensus. So. That's scary. I mean, I knew that, but I mean, I, I, mean, I, I didn't know that part, but I, I knew about the, 
that's scary. Like, how are we supposed to, where are we supposed to trust, you know? No one. Trust no one. You know, something disturbing happened around COVID. Um, I think we were still doing the masks and separation. The synagogues, I mean, this is a large community. There's like 30 synagogues, Orthodox synagogues, that I can walk to. Because on the Sabbath, we don't drive, so I, I walk there. But I was there once, and okay, I don't know if you're familiar with Education Day. I don't know how many people are really aware of that. Never heard of it. Um, so Education Day, they it's some resolution. They read it the whatever the White House puts it out, and I think they read it at the UN or something. But it was a day commemorating the uh, the leader of of my Hasidic movement that I'm a part of, because the, the the Rebbe, our Rebbe Menachem Mendel Schneerson, believed in education. So they honored him by making his birthday Education Day. So whenever his birthday falls out, um, I don't know if it's if they make it the Hebrew Day or if they make it like the English Day he was born is Education Day. And it's just where I don't know, like nobody makes a big deal out of it except they just read it as a resolution. But during this whole Trump thing and the whole anti-vax thing, like I don't have an opinion. I'm not a scientist or a medical professional. But one of the per- one of the people, like whatever, he was giving a talk about something, and he just say he said the education was dangerous, and I didn't say anything. It, I was just like, wait a second, this is totally opposite of like what we value and what the leader of our movement valued. But like I couldn't tell if he was joking at first. Like I just really couldn't tell. But it was just weird. Like this whole that whole thing just made a bunch of people forget they are Jews and they became like Republicans first. Sure. Well, education is dangerous. You know, any sort of. Uh... Ignorance and a lot of government-funded uh... education. I think the trouble with education is a lot of education with the standardized testing and everything is it's teaching you to memorize facts rather than it is teaching you to think for yourself. Right. Thinking for yourself and questioning authority is dangerous. Uh, it just inherently is. To, to, the, to, the, to the state. Well, yeah, to people with power. You know, you should really be worried about Bud Light sending a can to an online influencer that has three people that follow them. Dude, I'm so mad. I am so mad about that Bud Light can. I forgot all about French haircuts. It's amazing. I know, right? No French haircuts on that day. All anger towards Bud Light and some random person who lives somewhere in America. Did they not like it because the person was trans? Is that like the whole thing? Yeah. Well, it it was a master stroke, actually. So the people who are like the hard left people hate Dylan Mulvaney because of certain factors. And then, of course, the right wingers hate Dylan Mulvaney because of the trans issue. It's perfect. Perfect. As far as like, it makes me want to buy Bud Light. <laughs> I, I don't know if I'd go that far, but I do yeah. enjoy the <laughs> hardcore conservatives that go out and buy Bud Light now just to shoot it with their AR-15 on their YouTube channel to give Bud Light even more money and promotion. Like that's how not to do like a boycott, right? Like you don't you don't boycott something by buying more of it. Well, yeah, and people are talking about that instead of the government going after whistleblowers, which they they just the the New York Times just exposed a whistleblower uh, on purpose, and they don't talk about how the government's trying to ban uh, VPNs right now. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of serious issues that are a lot of serious things that are happening in our government, and. They don't want you talking about that. They don't want you to talk about how the government is purposefully extending the war in Ukraine. Yeah. Well, the good uh, thing about the VPN that I use, that I don't use, I mean, is that I did an extensive amount of research, and it's not part of the 13 Eyes uh, group of countries, and it's not based in the U.S., so it's not really limited to whatever the United States decides. I'm not saying I did that research, and I'm not saying that you, the listener, should do that research. I'm just saying. 
Yeah. By the way, I meant to ask you guys something. People see Marxism as a quote unquote threat. I don't know much about Marxism, but some of the newer friends that I made in my community um, are like uh, their words, real lefties, not this diet left that America has. You mean, I, I you mean, the, you mean the, zero, the zero sugar lefties? Coke, Coke Zero? What's zero? <laughs> yeah, Coke Zero lefties. <laughs> the gluten-free. We don't use... Yeah, we I, don't use diet anymore. The uh, yeah, gluten free is a good one. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> his, uh, his, he he said that you know here in, he went to Evanston, uh, you know it's uh, nearby here. Um, he grew up in Evanston. He used to hand out like Marxist newspapers, and his wife's parents were some revolutionaries in Chile or something. Like it's really crazy. It's so cool. Like I was like, oh, so what we have here is just a joke? Or like, yeah, it's just a joke. Whatever this left well, is. It, like again, I'm. Uh, if you're seeing something that's left wing on television, it's not left wing, right? Uh, just it's just not. You're never going to see anybody talk about on national television, criticize the military-industrial complex, and explain that we could spend a hundred a hundred million dollars in end homelessness in the United States. Hey, or we right? could buy Twitter for forty-four billion. Right? Yeah, yeah. We sent more money to Ukraine than it would take us to end homelessness permanently in the United States. So what benefits you and I more, right? It's very, so why are people uh, scared of Marxism? Telling. It's propaganda. Why are people... So there's like really nothing in Marxist philosophy that like, you know, is somehow dangerous? Like I've, I've never like, I'm not... Well, Marxism is kind of like a pipe, pipe dream, kind of like uh, true libertarianism is a pipe dream. Well, and, and tr you know, like capitalism, capitalism is kind of a pipe dream. I mean, the, uh, the same people that... The same people that say cap or Marxism is dangerous are the same people that see nothing wrong with our capitalistic society as it is today. And I think the problem is, is that power is, it goes back to Star Wars and Palpatine, right? Like absolute power corrupts absolutely or something. And those people that seek the power and can vote themselves salary increases and whatever, it doesn't matter if that's under a capitalistic economy or a Marxist economy or communist or socialist or whatever kind of economy, when you have the ruling class versus everybody else, anything's a threat. Even capitalism, what we have today, which is morphed into like corporatism and cronyism, and that would happen even under Marxism. You know, so there's got to be some kind of well. safeguards under these things to keep these people in check. Sure. I mean, it's a pipe dream, like I say. We've never seen a government that fell underneath the strict Marxist ideology. It was always Bolshevism, which is just a another way of saying totalitarian government. You know what I mean? So it's just a political philosophy, but it's a good boogeyman to throw out there. Right. Yeah, and so I've been reading of, this. If you read... Oh, go ahead, Nate. Oh, you go, Mike, and then I'll go. I was going to say, if you read Karl Marx, a lot of it makes a lot of sense as far as the means of production uh, are owned by the ruling class, but the means of knowledge are owned by the middle classes and the working classes, and that the ruling classes, because they own all the capital, they get all the profits, even though they don't have any of the knowledge to produce anything. And uh, that's just fundamentally true. You know, the people who make all the money don't actually know how the system works, and they don't know how to produce anything. And they don't make anything operate. They just have capital so they can maximize profit. And that's what our society is all about. Yeah, and that's why my boss doesn't know how to do what I do. Like, if like I can't go to him to ask for questions about how to do my job because he just doesn't know. He's a nice enough guy, but he doesn't know. And I think that's true of, right. of any economic or uh, governmental, whatever whatever you're following as a, as a country, like 
there's going to be people that know more that actually do the things. And it's all kind of like checks and balances. And so the whole point is like what? When we started our country, we had the three branches of government to try and do checks and balances, but now they all work together because they get rich off of us, you know, and off of their other deals and stuff that they do. And so, uh, but I was going to say the book that I'm reading is called The Dawn of Everything, and it's looking at inequality through the lens of pre-Columbian uh, tribes here in North America. And they had, it was, I can't remember the exact term, but it was, uh, they were basically flabbergasted, which is totally in modern parlance these days, that the French people had uh, poor people that were begging for money and couldn't afford to feed themselves. And they were like, and you guys think you're better than us? Like everyone in our tribe eats. They all eat. Some of our tribes, uh, tribes people have, you know, more beads to trade or more uh, knives or more arrows or whatever but we all eat, like we're all taken care of. So it's kind of like the social, social socialism or something or like base needs socialism. And then, you know, if you're quote unquote poor, you can't do as much, much trading with other tribes, but you still eat, you still have a, a home, you still have a, a role within the tribe, uh, but you're just not, you know, I don't know. I mean, and what's wrong with that? Like, why, why couldn't we fix homelessness? Why are we spending all this money on, um, aggressive homelessness architecture, you know, the spikes on benches and wi windowsills and things instead of, you know, giving them places to live and teaching them skills to do things. I don't know. That's just leftist nonsense. I know, damn it. I blame Disney. <laughs> well, if we tried to take care of our social problems like homelessness, how could we have military bases uh, circumnavigating the entire globe? You know, that is a good point, to, like, Mike. Close a few of them. We definitely need, need military bases everywhere in the world. Right. I don't know how right. we could function without having that military base in that uh, country. I can't pronounce. Right. There hasn't been a terrorist attack uh, in my county since uh, uh, a war that happened 130 fucking years ago against the Ojibwe. But I gotta really worry about you know what happens in the Philippines. Yeah. Right. Are we Team America, World Police? Exactly. How are we supposed to have good puppet sex without it? I know. That makes uh, that makes our rulers a lot of money, so we have to have all these wars all the time and all these things that we fund all the time militarily. We couldn't possibly, you know, have I don't know, this is gonna this I you know, this is gonna make me sound like a communist. I don't know why we can't just have universal health care like most other uh, first world demo democratic countries have. But that would make us communists, so we can't do that. Well, what's good Damn. for Pfizer is good for America, dude. Obviously. I mean, that's why the head of Pfizer is an American. Yeah, Oxycontin was yeah, great for us. Give us yeah, more, please. That's why the head of Pfizer is an American and not like the son of a fucking Nazi war criminal. I feel like both are probably true. <laughs> I don't know if he was the son or the grandson. He <laughs> Not nice guys. Not, ni not nice guys. <laughs> <laughs> but man, can they turn a profit? So therefore, they're successful Americans, right? It makes my heart swell state. with pride to be an American. <laughs> proud to be an American. Uh, the Jewish sages two thousand years ago said, "Don't trust politicians because when you need them, they're not going to be there for you because they're only interested in themselves. They only care about themselves." And and so, whatever they were doing on Epstein Island, and whatever they're doing on Epstein Island. So I, I really don't understand how even, like, Jews could, like, trust. Oh, Donald Trump's not a politician. He became one, so there you go. 
Yeah, if you're actively seeking a public office, you are therefore a politician. If you're a business person, you're a politician. You have to be. That's the whole definition of politician. Right. I just don't understand how people can uh, overlook the fact that Donald Trump has been in the cultural zeitgeist for 40 years and his whole persona was being a dirtbag, corrupt, rich New York businessman that went around grabbing pussies and banging, you know, Eastern European prostitutes. You're fired. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and that's fine. I mean, I'm not trying to like say he's any worse than our current president, who is well known for certain negative things. Uh, being a Dixiecrat, potentially being a molester, you know, uh, we're not defending just any likes, politician. But. He just likes to smell hair, man. Let him, let him sn- sniff hair in peace. Always raining on the hair sniffing parade, this guy. Right, you know, and that's why his daughter wrote that she was afraid <laughs> to take a shower at home when he was home. I'm afraid to take a shower knowing that he's somewhere out there and has the NSA watching me. <laughs> and the term woke, man, this got ruined. What do you say, woke? What, what? I said the term woke got ruined. Oh, for sure. Yeah, it's they call it all of these. Woke. Go on, Sima. I was saying, I always thought that woke meant you had like some higher perception of reality. That's how I always interpreted it. And then the past two years, every time I hear the word woke, it's like people are using it in a negative term. Yeah, because like originally it was like Matrix, right? Like you've awoken from your captive cell or pod or whatever, and you see the state of things as they are. And now it means something completely different. And I just, could we have like a societal movement where they don't co-opt terms that I'm used to using and then I have to learn a new definition of it and then find something else to use because they ruined it? Definitely. (laughs) Well, as uh, some wise man once told me, the revolution will not be televised. (laughs) Thanks, Obama. Probably the truth. (laughs) Oh, yeah, we still got to blame him for stuff. I forgot about that. (laughs) What I think is so funny is that people think there's a difference between Obama and Bush and Clinton and Trump and Biden. Can you tell me a meaningful difference? Um, a couple of those guys are white. <laughs> <laughs> At least one of them doesn't know how to pronounce names in the Bible. <laughs> Which I think is hilarious. And I don't think Trump uses a scriptwriter or speechwriter. I think he just goes off the cuff all the time. And we talked about that too, Mike, where it's like, you know, his whole persona is kind of like, I speak from the truth or speak from my truth or whatever. But it ends up making him sound like a giant asshat, which of course he is. They all are. But the others, at least to my knowledge, have kind of used a scriptwriter. And it's not our fault. And it's not his fault that Bush can't read a teleprompter. So, you know, he's like the Ron Burgundy of presidents. And that's what everybody like tore into him about instead of other things that were maybe more meaningful to tear into him about. Late night alone. Oh, geez. <laughs> I said that kind of fast, just, you know, just in case. yep we uh we use uh slang terms around here like french haircuts and in minecraft (laughs) yes Uh, speaking about minecraft the guy that leaked all those documents did it on like a discord server for Mm -hmm. his game gamer buddies i mean supposedly that's if you believe what the media is telling you oh that's a hard one well, it's interesting because he got exposed by the New York Times, uh, which is completely against journalistic ethics. So that tells you the state of journalism in a, nut, in a nutshell right there. So what news do people trust? You have to do the research and get an, um, 
you know, get a variety of sources and try to make the decision for yourself based on the various lies that are being propagated. That's the big thing, Mike. You got to look at a, a more than one source. You can't just say, oh, this newspaper, this media outlet has served me well in the past, therefore I'm going to believe what they say. Um, who is the, I'm trying to, oh, Edward Snowden, you know, and he's on, and he's on the run and all he did was tell the American people they were being spied on. And now he can never come back here. And well, Julian Assange is in prison yeah. and was on the run for years. And the journalists who reported on what he leaked got Pulitzer Prizes. So, yeah. So, so it's a whole big, it's all a big game to the powers that be, you know, the ruling class. And I say this all the time is it's not Republican versus Democrat. It's ruling class versus everyday citizens. And if you're not in the ruling class, you're an everyday citizen. It doesn't matter if you're middle class or poor. You're an everyday citizen, and the ruling class, it's all a game to them, and they love to spin it, and they love to shoot out different things to both their uh, bought-and-paid-for media outlets. I think just the stuff that came out of Fox News with all the Fox News anchors saying that they hated Donald Trump off-air, but then on-air, they said he was the greatest thing ever in the world. So you know there's no journalistic integrity anymore because these are not journalist outfits anymore. They're propaganda outfits. They're propaganda wings. So you have to go to both to both sides, and uh, you know, and and that's and we did a whole episode on uh, one of our friends, uh, my wife and I's friends, sent us a book called The Case for Christ because they knew that I am an atheist and they wanted to bring me into God's loving arms and save my eternal soul. And I read that book because uh, part of Stoicism is you should always be reading and always be learning. But if you're only learning or reading the things that agree with your beliefs, you're not doing it the right way. So I read that book, uh, but I found it to be, and you know, you can go, our listeners can go back and, and listen to that episode. I'm not going to rehash the whole thing here, but I found it to be so poorly researched that I found another book called The Case Against the Case for Christ by another New Testament scholar who basically took the same umbrage that I did with the researching of that book and uh, refuted it chapter by chapter. So I read the chapter in the case for Christ wow. and then the chapter in the case against the case for Christ. And I learned so much more about the Bible than I ever knew just reading both of those things, both of them together. And I'm an atheist. Why do, why do I care about learning about the Bible? Well, it's fascinating. And it's not something I believe in, but I grew up trying to believe in it. You know what I mean? Uh, so it's very, very fascinating to me. And I think more people should do that. Go read something. You know, if you don't like Republicans, go read one of the new Republican books out there by one of the Republican people. And if you're a Republican and hate Democrats, go read the new Democrat book. I don't know, like branch out, think for yourself. You got to look at multiple sources. Right. The case for crisis, they just want you to worship a Jew. Yeah, but they hate Jews. Yeah, but he's a Jew that looks like Ironic, he's from huh? Scandinavia. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Know, right. Yeah, yeah. Like everybody's like, my favorite white person, Jesus, excuse me. <laughs> what? <laughs> speaking about, speaking about that. Uh, so that's like, Christians have no problem with a white Jesus, but everybody's up in arms about the new uh, Netflix documentary about Cleopatra, where she's shown as a full-on black woman, which incidentally is not true because she was descended from Greeks. And that's why they're mad? Yeah, because they're, they're effectively—so uh, liberals get mad for people whitewashing stories, and now the liberals are mad because they're blackwashing history you know, and making Cleopatra black. 
the conservatives are mad because they're blackwashing. Oh, I see. Oh, somebody's mad. I don't know. Um, but it's also not history, <laughs> right? Like if Cleopatra is not black, then she's not black. You can, in, in my mind, you can make the Little Mermaid black and it's not a big deal because as far as I know, and I'm not a mermaidologist, so don't quote me on this, but mermaids aren't <laughs> real. So if they're black or white or orange <laughs> or blue, it literally doesn't matter to the story. But if you're going and making it matters, making, to the it matters to, yeah, it matters to insecure people. I'm sure the story is going to be absolutely rubbish anyway, because most remakes are rubbish to begin with. So, but it has nothing to do with the race of the actors. Right, right. I mean, I take a controversial stance. All right, hit us, Mike. Hit us. I, I think that it's fine to race swap mythical characters like Jesus or Santa Claus or the Little Mermaid. But I'm less of a fan of race swapping real historical figures or telling stories in historical context and putting people in there that don't belong. So it, it kind of uh, lessens the sting of racism in America when you put like a black queen in Scandinavia circa 1200. You know what I mean? Like it's right. tell realistic stories about the past if that's what you're planning on doing. Uh, but race swapping Santa Claus, who cares if Santa Claus is whatever? That's a well, and every culture has their own version of Santa Claus, kind of, right? I mean, isn't there one well, in, sure. in Mexico that comes in like if you don't do the right thing, they like beat you or something? Like, I don't know. Kramp- well, Krampus? Like the, the Krampus, yeah, the Krampus. Yeah, like a lot of these mythical things, like, like uh, it doesn't matter. Yeah, I mean, a lot of these mythical things, and that's, and that's what I'm trying to say too, Mike, is like, I, it doesn't matter. I don't care if Ariel is black or, you know, like, I don't know why Aladdin would be white necessarily. Like, I don't think he would be white or Jasmine, you know, like in, in Aladdin. But maybe they were. I don't know. It's mythical stuff. It's all make-believe. But to put Cleopatra... Aladdin and Jasmine being black would make a lot more sense than being white. Yeah. Uh, but, but yeah, uh, but like making Cleopatra yeah, a Santa race Claus that she wasn't... In, uh, right. Go ahead, Nate. I'm Are they sorry. doing that on purpose? Are they doing that on purpose for like equality or something? Is that it's why for they advertising. do that? Or any of the, like the changing the race of any character? Well, the changing the race of any any character is mostly to try and fit the modern society, which is fine. That's fine with me if it's a mythical thing, if it's a if it's a fictional thing. Like you, if you want to go back and retell Star Wars and have Luke be black, that doesn't that doesn't offend me at all. Other than the movies were great, and I don't know why I have to keep fucking around with them, George. Uh, special edition. I mean, I'm looking at you. Black. Yeah. <laughs> I know that if I was going to sell Santa Claus to, like, uh, middle of India, I would make Santa Claus Indian, for sure. You know, if I was Coca-Cola and I was putting Santa Claus on cans in Colombia, I would make him probably a medium-skinned Latino. And if Sorry. I was selling Santa Claus in California, I'd make him a trans woman. I thought Santa Claus was a trans man. Oh, there's a spin I didn't see coming. <laughs> but yeah, I don't so know. I mean, go. people people get all riled up about this kind of stuff, and that's the whole point is it's all it's all fluff because what's the gov- what's the government doing when we're arguing about fictional characters? They're plotting their next thing. Exactly. Exactly. How many billions are being stuffed into illegal bank accounts right now that we're not focusing on? Supposedly Zelensky stole 400 million dollars out of the money that we sent to Ukraine. Well, Dang. We said it before on the podcast, the only country more corrupt than Ukraine is Russia by like one spot. So they're on the very top of the corrupt countries list if you go look at that kind of research online. 
But we're sending them all this, all these great weapons of war. So hooray for us. Well, who would have thought that a guy named Voldemort would be corrupt in a baddie? Not me. That man was just misunderstood. Yep. <laughs> mm-hmm. Just misunderstood. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we got totally side-railed on or sidetracked on that. <laughs> well, you know, I did ask what Simha wanted to talk about, and he said anything. Uh, he's big into Judaism, of course, and Star Wars, of course, and, you know, politics. So we kind of covered all three of those topics. <laughs> That's yeah. true. That did you guys true. Did you guys hear about Clarence Thomas? Oh, his fancy trips? Maybe. Oh, his fancy trips. Oh. <laughs> you mean his uh, constitutional right to fancy trips? His, 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 his totally not corrupt bribes, multi-million dollar yearly trips. I don't have to report those. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. It's fucking awful. It's always been awful, though. We're just more aware of it now than ever. Well, we have to be because, like, the Internet's everywhere. Right. But not everybody uses it. And, and I've said this before, and one of my favorite things I've seen online is, uh, hey, remember, you know, 30 years ago when we said, man, if only everybody could have equal access to the wealth of human knowledge, there wouldn't be idiots anymore. Well, it turns out with the advent of cell phones and the Internet, uh, that that's not the reason people are stupid. Uh, just so you guys know, I am officially done with my cigar. It was okay. a finger burner. Yep, finger burn. My fingers are warm right now. I had to stick them somewhere cool. Mine reek. <laughs> but stop smelling them then. So Get I back at it. Is, I, don't, <laughs> I don't know if this is taboo. Taboo. Uh, I guess it's not taboo here. Not but here. Uh, is anybody familiar with the usage of psychedelics as like a therapy? I am somewhat familiar. But the other day I'm at my friend's house. A couple of weeks ago I, I, I'm at my friend's house. He's a Hasidic guy. He grows them. And um, it was a Saturday night, and we decided we we're going to order pizza and watch uh, Han Solo. He's never seen it. I've seen it like many times. Yeah. And he goes to he goes to his garden and picks out these giant. I mean, I don't I don't know how to like measure this stuff. These two really big penis envy is what it's called. Okay. <laughs> Boy, I was envious when I saw that. He comes into the room and he hands them both to me and says, "If you eat these right now, you can have these." And first off, they're nasty. Yeah, it's not peer pressure. It's just your turn, right? Yeah, and I was like, I'm not going to say no. And I ate them, and I got smacked by the cosmos. It was beautiful. I lost all sense of self-awareness. Like, really, like, what do they call it? E- ego death. Okay. I use the term in Hebrew, bitlayash, but it means ego death. I lost all sense of self-awareness. <laughs> and I was, like, getting kind of worried, like, am I, am I going to go crazy because of it? When I came to, like, I would come to and whatever, wondering if I was going to go crazy. Obviously, I didn't. Or maybe I did. I don't know. But, uh... It was a very healing experience, to say the least. So I, I talked to my therapist about psychedelic use, and he told me like all these like good things about it that he knows. Yeah. So I've always been interested. Use psychedelics. Oh, go ahead, Nate. I was just gonna say I've always been interested in kind of the the shroomage stuff because, uh, you know, they can do a lot of things. But I was reading somewhere they had kind of like a scale, where you know it ranged from like a mild kind of like buzz to what you said, like the ego death or the full complete loss of everything and, I don't know, floating out amongst the cosmos kind of thing. And I've always been a little like apprehensive of going to the, the deep end of that of that spectrum. But I don't know. I mean, it, I'd be down to try. I don't really enjoy mushrooms just in general, like on pizza and things because of the texture. But I've, I've heard you can just put it in peanut butter and then everything's good. But I love peanut butter. So go ahead, Mike. <laughs> I was going to say they used to use psychedelics in uh, therapy and drug treatment, but 
Of course, our government banned that, uh, despite the record of it being uh, potentially useful. I don't know why and, all these uh, drugs are banned and we have all these weapons of war that we're sending to Ukraine. Well, it's hard to have a, a, a person who wants to hate their enemy when they have their third eye opened uh, occasionally. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> if you have three eyes, do you see that woman from Total Recall with Arnold and the three the three breasts? If you were watching the movie, I suppose. <laughs> is, is that a question for a different podcast? I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, man, you can't have a whole population of people who feel who are, brotherhood who are happy. With all the people of the earth, yeah. I think we need more of that. And Mike and I have talked I about this. I think people benefit. Yeah, and I don't think you know this yet, um, but Mike and I have talked that we really feel that in America, America is so big and vast, just in land, in, in land, your geography. Yeah, there I go with my big words again. America's big in land. Uh, elect me as your next president. Um, but because it's such, so huge geographically, we don't, and now everybody's so like sectioned off in their little like groups or cliques or political spectrum regions that we don't really have like a underlying uniting nationalism. And I don't mean like the bad nationalism stuff, but we don't really have that. Uh, what would you, what, what, how do you phrase it, Mike? Like the national consciousness or something? Yeah. We don't have a national consciousness. So not having the national consciousness is a huge detractor because I think it would fix a lot of our stuff. Like, because you couldn't, right? And you were talking about this too, Simha, about the uh, how can the Jewish population root for certain politicians when they're told to not trust politicians? Uh, but we don't have that social consciousness. And if we did, we would never elect any of these people that have been elected. Right. That's for sure. That is for sure. Mushrooms are something people, the first time person tries it, it should be kind of fun. I mean, I, now I use it for more like, uh, I don't want to say spiritual things because that's using it as a cheat, but for more like therapeutic, I guess. Maybe that's an excuse. I mean, I do have fun when I'm on it, but it's like a reset. It might also get you closer spiritually. I mean, because that's who you are. Right, right. The idea is to reach spiritual high with one's own effort, though, like and not necessarily use those things for spiritual highs. I mean, you do get one regardless if you're looking for it or not. I, it's from my experience, but but it it was just so beautiful. Like everybody, I have a friend. He's a Ukrainian guy. He is a PhD in neuroscience and he's a data scientist. That's what he's doing. Okay. And he was asking. He's he's a very intellectually curious he's a Jewish guy. And he asked me. He said he thinks he wants to try shrooms. I mean, this guy buys Jap Chinese teapots for no reason. So like you know, he comes up with these you know endeavors. And so uh, Corinne and I. We're telling him, yeah, you know, encouraging him. And we we took care of his stepson and his daughter so his wife could babysit him at this guy's house. And what my friend failed to tell me is that he had a PhD in neuroscience. And because of his uh, knowledge in neuroscience, he gets super paranoid and anxious about things that he goes to the emergency room for like all the time if he if something feels weird to him. Okay. So he had an awful he had an awful trip. So, you know, we're still waiting. I mean, his kids are fine. Um, and then we get a call from his wife saying, we're going to the ER. And I was like, what? <laughs> Maybe like, yeah, don't. He, he, we're like, he'll be fine. She's like, no, he insists. You know, his wife's American. So uh, she took him to the ER. And I don't know whatever he was saying. And she wrote a note. She said, sorry if my husband's an asshole. He's tripping balls. He took mushrooms. <laughs> she handed it to the guy. <laughs> the guy was the guy was fine, but it's like the person who like tried to like brief him in it is really into like using it for like, you know, ego death and like, you know, all this stuff that you have to face and deal with. 
And that's kind of what made him, what kind of, I think, made it a bad trip is because it was his first time and he's being told some serious stuff. Yeah. And then he tells the other day, you think I should try it again? He said, you should have told us about your underlying anxieties, dude. I don't know how to answer that. I would say yes, but I'm not. I would say probably not. Yeah, probably (laughs) not. I mean, that's what I've heard. I mean, I've never done anything psychedelic like that, but I've always heard from people that, that have done it is that you have to go in with the right mindset. You know, you have to understand or you have to be in a safe, what you would consider a safe place, you know, with people that you trust and maybe not an, uh, a lot of like external stimuli and then you can have a good trip. But, you know, I don't know. I've never done it, so I don't know for sure. I had one bad trip the first week I was away from home after my separation. I never had a bad trip before. So like, you know, I was at that friend's house and I took mushrooms. And I was just like crying. It was just awful. Like I thought I was fine. I felt like I was in a good space. I thought I had closure. And then like I just had a bad trip and I didn't realize it. But obviously like a week after a separation, <laughs> I probably shouldn't have tried to take them. But I thought, oh, I need a reset from all this, you know? Yeah. So I thought I was going to give me that. I have a I have a friend. He's a rabbi. It makes like edibles like for the Sabbath. It's, we can't smoke on the Sabbath. So... He makes them, he started making them for Pete, like, you know, older Hasidic ladies that had problems and they needed it. And yeah. he wanted me to try it out because he, he wasn't a smoker. He didn't know the potency. And I, you know, sometimes it was like too much. One sip was too much. Sometimes like whatever, like one sip was like a little bit. So yeah. uh, last July, my friends, one of his sons got hit by a car and died. It was a whole community, like very sad. And, you know, as a parent, it just made it worse. Yeah. Um, and that following Friday, I hit up my friend and I was like, yo, dude, can I get some of that oil? It was basically it was like olive oil or something. and You can just drink it. Um, I said, can I get some of that oil? Like, I really need some after all this week. This is just, you know. And he gave me some and I like started to sip it. I just took a couple of sips. And right before, you know, we lit the Sabbath candles, you know, the, I took one last look at my phone. And I saw like some news, like Jewish community news of somebody somewhere passing away. And I was like, oh, man, not another one. And I don't know why, but that gave me anxiety, probably because the edible, like, it really hit me. Yeah. And so I'm fine. I'm just feeling a little anxious. And I'm like, you know, a Friday night we go to the synagogue and my son wanted to go with me. And of course, if you had a bad edible experience, you know that you judge yourself awfully. So I was like, I don't want to go. I'm going to be a bad father if I don't, whatever. So I go in, I go in the bedroom and I lay on my bed and my kids come in and say, you know, is Tati all right? And their mother said, and I was just stoned and yep. feeling overwhelmed. But she had to say, Tati's just sad what happened to his friend's son. And that triggered me. And I just started like crying. I'm not a crier. I was just crying. And we have basically Friday night and Saturday is like two days of Thanksgiving meal and you have guests. It's not like Thanksgiving food, but it's like pretty much a big thing. And yeah. I had guests over. I had guests over and I could not stop being so emotional because I was high out of my mind. And I just played it off like instead of saying like I had an edible, I just played it off as like, you know what? I mean, it is true. I was sad about what happened because she triggered But, you know, it was just a terrible experience. I think most people have experiences like that. As far as like people who are using uh, substances, I've had bad experiences myself. So, <laughs> And it's usually triggered by something external, you know? Yeah. Yeah, very much. And not to drastically change all the topics, but I know Mike's done with his cigar and I just put mine out. How are you doing on yours? Oh, mine's done. Oh, okay. Uh, 
I didn't know we had to announce that. <laughs> oh yeah, well that's kind of the uh, the format of the show is like we kind of go until the cigars are done. So, um, ah. yes, but sir. we can do uh, we can do final cigar thoughts. Uh, I think this has been a great conversation. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I hope uh, everyone else did as well. Yeah, it was great. Yeah, and if you enjoyed it, uh, you want to plug your podcast again? Yeah, Team Spirit Art House. If you, the website's Team like T E A M SpiritArtHouse.com. That's the website, and like, you can. Yeah, we'll put the link in the episode description here. Be sure to give them a follow, a check out, listen to them. And uh, I've I've listened to some of their stuff and seen some of their other uh, multimedia stuff that's come out, and it's been top notch. So give that a check out. This cigar was really, really, really good. I I thoroughly enjoyed it. Yeah, it was definitely good. <laughs> I'll get another one later. <laughs> yep, I enjoyed it. Smoked it until my fingers got burnt. So. Yep. All right. Well, thank you, uh, Simha, for being our guest, and we look forward to speaking with you in the future. And thanks for listening to Nice Ashes. All right. Yeah. Thank you very much. Take care. Be safe. Have fun. Bye.